Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Paradigm One Thirty Two Podcast. I'm your humble and gracious host, Rashad Horn, and on today's episode, I want to talk about the impending—well, not impending—the current tensions between the U.S. and China. Uh, earlier in the year, as well as the latter part of last year, uh, President Trump uh, put billions of dollars of tax tariffs on uh, Chinese goods and China in China uh, turned around and did the same thing. But um, at the beginning of the year, obviously they uh, went back to the table and they uh, came up with a, a solution that was going to try to get them back on um, the right footing uh, what they dubbed as um phase one right and the reason i want to talk about this is because a lot of major pundits are stating that this is shaping up to be another cold war another cold war so for those who don't know what the cold war is or are not too familiar with the Cold War like myself prior to uh, doing research on. I'm just going to give a brief rundown of what it was. It lasted from 1945 until the early 1990s. Uh, it took place between the United States and the USSR, which is now uh, just Russia. Uh, it first started right before World War II ended. For those who don't know, um, Britain, France, and the United States, as well as Russia, which was led by Joseph Stalin, they were in alliance to overthrow Germany, Nazi Germany, Italy, as well as Japan. And so as it progressed, which I watched a, a a fantastic documentary on uh, Joseph Stalin. Uh, it was on YouTube, but I believe the original publication may have been on the History Channel, but I just happened to catch it on YouTube one night. So if anyone is interested, just it's a very informative, detailed uh, documentary. But <laughs> that's not what I'm here to talk about. So, uh, so what led up to uh, the Cold War. So I'm getting this from uh, HistoryCrunch.com. This particular article just gives a short, brief synopsis of what transpired and what led up to the Cold War that, again, ended in the 1990s after being started in 1945. Now, it wasn't a somewhat physical um, war. Right. But it was it was a war. Nonetheless, it was a, it was a battle between powers. And so they say that it was two particular conferences but um between um the allies of the USSR that led to the beginning of the Cold War and the conferences were the Yalta Yalta conference is spelled Y A L T A and the Potsdam conference which is P O T S D A M and what was revealed um in that those two conferences were that the U.S. had secretly been working on 
nuclear weapons. And so the end of the the end of World War Two was when the nuclear bomb was dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And so three um it was two different conferences again. Like I said, the first conference was the Yaltao conference, which was Franklin D. Rez- Franklin Roosevelt, Winston Churchill, and Joseph Stalin were in attendance. And the second conference was Harry S. Truman, Winston Churchill, as well as Joseph Stalin. Uh, for as we know, Franklin D. Roosevelt um, um, died and was not um, and was succeeded by Harry S. Truman. And so it was the second conference in which Harry S. Truman revealed to uh, Churchill as well as Stalin that they had been working on the atomic bomb and that they were essentially, you know, again, like I said, the war was, you know, becoming was was about to end and, you know, they they could see the finish line. So they said, hey, this is going to be the last one drop it boom that's going to be that and so you have to kind of look at it from joseph Stalin's standpoint because you're fighting a force that was looking to take over right so you you had allies so throughout this entire war they just now present to you as well as churchill which obviously um, Churchill and Truman, obviously, that particular relationship between um, the U.S. and, <clears throat> excuse me, the U.S. and Britain, that particular relationship has long ties, right? But Russia is kind of on the outside looking in. So you have to kind of think of it from a standpoint to say, wait a minute. I could, we could win this particular war. And you have the military capabilities of dropping something and taking over as well, right? But obviously, neither one of the countries wanted to actually get to that particular point. But what it started was the Cold War. So after the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, Russia went to work um, looking to develop their own um, nuclear weapons. So that was one of the um, reasons. The other reason, another reason was the ide- ideological, the, uh, the ideology uh, conflict. Uh, Russia was a communist um, country, which meant that the government had a lot more say-so in the way that goods and things would be um distributed out and again going back to the fabulous documentary that i watched on joseph stalin um for the most part individuals that lived in moscow or close around moscow they reaped the benefits the other countries the further away that you were from moscow the the worse off your living conditions would be because if there was farmland out they will go out there, they will get all the crops, get everything that they need and leave very little for the farmers and bring everything back to Moscow and any and all places that surrounded Moscow. And they will reap the benefits of that. Right. Obviously, we know the U.S. is based around capitalism. Right. Which is um, 
it is bare essence. It's a display of individualism that, hey, look, my intellectual properties or my hard work, all of that stuff got this for me. I don't need government intervention to tell me essentially what it is that I can and cannot do with my money and things of that particular nature. You stay over there. You do what you need to do. and I'm going to do what I need to do. Right. So in many cases, communism can be um, extreme. Communism can lead to uh, dictatorship and extreme capitalism, which is dubbed uh, laissez-faire capitalism, which was a term that was coined by Karl Marx, who basically talked about, again, in the uh, Communist Manifesto, how that it could be such a uh, damning thing that is going to pit rich against poor. It becomes a survival of the other fittest. So extreme on both sides, um, you know, is not for the betterment of the well-being of everybody. But obviously, Russia wanted to spread communism, and uh, obviously the U.S. wanted to spread uh, capitalism. So that was... um, So... Those were the two biggest um, things that spiked the Cold War. So now we move to the impending dubbed Cold War between the U.S. and China. Now, I'll be the first to say um, I read The Art of the Deal, right? I've listened to my fair share of... um, Donald Trump speeches. And one of the things that I have felt that he has not lied about, or when I say lie, I'm speaking in terms of something that he has continually said, and he's not backed off that particular heel like he has some other things, is his um, mindset, his makeup, his his ideology about China. So since the 80s, he's talked about how China has participated in unfair trade practices, uh, intellectual property theft, and things of that particular nature. So essentially, with them having the ability to have such a a currency that is not a dominating currency, they have the ability to attract a lot of um, businesses and companies over there. Um, So This next article that I'm pulling information from is uh, from MSN News, and it says U.S. economic war against China to have gargantuan fallout. Uh, And this is from the economic economist uh, economist uh, magazine. So it talked about how um, Deutsche Bank just taking out some of the highlights, Deutsche Bank stated that lost revenues in China, the expense of moving factories out of the country, which we're talking about U.S. uh, uh, factories, and compliance with the Chinese and American techospheres, divergent standards could cause global technology firms 3.5 trillion U.S. dollars over the next five years. So essentially $3.5 trillion just gone, and that could essentially put a tremendous, or as they, the adjectives that they used, a gargantuan um, shift in the way that we uh, do particular things. 
Um, obviously, we already know how um, the Trump administration feels about um, China as it pertains to the um, COVID-19. If you watch any of his, um, <laughs> it's not funny, but it, it's it's not funny, but it's funny how he, you know, he doesn't refer to it as COVID. He refers to it as the Kung Fu flu um, and all of that different type of stuff like this. And so, and obviously we know the recent um, attention that TikTok has gotten in which they're looking to ban TikTok due to the fact that they feel that it is a way, as we as regular citizens, we're just looking at it as a way to have fun, as a way for um, creators to create content, essentially to sell comedy, you know, or, you know, just attract the following to you know just leverage that to deals in which you're able to um make money and percent you know essentially put yourself in position to start generating generational wealth for yourself and obviously that's not the only app that does that but it has uh taken off right and i see articles where they say tiktok star and i'm like really like you know, but, you know, I'm of an age where my wife, she does it, but I don't do it. Some things I, I'm just not into. But getting back into just getting back into this particular article, um, as it moves down, it states that U.S. companies have robust and growing businesses in China. Right. It says General Motors sells more cars in China than it does in America and that a research firm estimates Tesla may produce between 25 and 40 percent of its electric cars in China in 2021. So obviously, again, going back to a statement that I made earlier, the reason for these particular things is that it's easier and it's cheaper to do business in China than it is in America, obviously, by, by way, by basically because of their currency. Right. Um I listened to an episode of Earn Your Leisure podcast, and I, I hate that I don't remember the sister's name, but she created a board game. I hate I don't remember the name of the board game either. I'm sorry. I should have been a little bit more prepared. But she talked about how it was so much cheaper to uh, develop and build her game in China versus the U.S., and the only thing that she really looked at and saw as a as a a hindrance was the fact that you had to get orders in by a certain month in China in order for them to actually make it there. Someone was looking to get something by Christmas. Right. So obviously that's that's just the case. It's, it's ships and all kind of things of that particular nature. So. Um, so, yeah. So um, moving down. Um, it referenced a survey by the U.S. China Business Council, um, which is um, a group of 200 U.S. companies that do business in China. And it says that their members consider China a top strategic priority and top five priority, which they did, you know, um, they, they consider it more of a strategic priority and top five priority than it did in 2019 and that few plan to decamp from China. Right. So that just shows how dug in to China that they are, that even with um, the way that 
things are transpiring, they don't see a reason um, to move out of China as long as China is, you know, making a way for them. And obviously we have the situation in which these major companies, they can move over to these places and escape essentially from paying taxes back into the U.S., you know, by having the majority of the operations um, in another country. Uh, it talks about that China makes up more than 25 percent of global sales in a wide range of se- sectors, mainly including electronic components and into Internet retail. Uh, it stated that the biggest victim of decoupling would be America's tech giants, many who many of which rely heavily on Chinese demand and suppliers. So obviously we know that a large percentage of um, iPhones, just a, just a lot of technology, right? A large percentage of it is developed in China, again, due to the fact that the it's a lot cheaper based on the way that they their workers have to be paid, right? So, and it said that in the event that uh, Apple had to just get up and leave, which would essentially make um, consumers within China not want to buy uh, iPhones. It talked about that it could lead to a global decline in sales as much as 25 to 30%. So imagine, uh, just to put that into a particular um, spectrum, just imagine you were at work and your boss uh, came up and said, hey, we're going to lower your, your salary by 25 to 30%. Irregardless of the amount of money that you make, that is a tremendous um, drop in, in pay, right? So moving on to a another article. Um, this article also is from MSN News. Uh, it talks, it says, a friend U.S.-China relations tested by Trump ahead of election, right? So obviously the 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 new spinning top now is that um Trump is going back to, he's he's going he's he's getting back in campaign mode. He's 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 going back to talk to his base. He's talking to his his radical base. He's talking to his business base and he's continuing to hammer in on China, right? So uh they're rolling that play out and that's the that's the play that they're gonna continue to roll out. Right. So um, again, a lot of uh, the, the vast majority of this is essentially over, over my head. Um, I'm sure maybe over some of your heads as well. But one of the things that I do understand about this particular cold war is that we as U.S. citizens, irregardless of race and color, um, some of us are treated a lot um, worse due to certain things that um, laws and things that are established. But one of the things that we can, to an extent, bank on is that if you have the ability to market yourself, if you have the ability to have a product, if you have ability to somewhat be um, a driving force to help bring people from a lower status to an upper status here it's available to you because of the global position of the u.s right and the u.s again going back to the cold war obviously if we know that 
um, throughout the Cold War, one of the major things aside from the atomic bomb was the fact that Russia was actually the first country to actually put someone on the moon. And we remember um, the Kennedy was like, hey, it's a race to space. Who's going to make it there first? Russia made it there first. Right. And so um, in Russia, you know, as much as we talk about Russia and uh, Vladimir Putin, they're trying to um, climb back out of obscurity as well. Because, again, during that particular time period, Russia and the U.S. were the two biggest um, superpowers. Right. And China was um, a shell of itself. And now China has surpassed all of these particular countries with India running third. But we don't necessarily hear about India as much when we talk about this particular thing, because China's right there. And so with the advent of China having the ability, well, not having the ability, but with them displaying um, just a lack of um, integrity in certain instances that they're buying and instilling um, intellectual properties and turning around and doing it for themselves. And then at the same token, not um, telling uh, other countries and other things that their business, because they, they have, a, it seems that they have a strong nationalistic um, agenda about themselves that, Hey, look, we're going to get to the top, but we have the U.S. that's in our way. And so one of the biggest things is that uh, as we, you know, Wuhan now is is infamous as being the epicenter or the first place in which the coronavirus was first um, discovered. But China is looking to move forward and as it pertains to the tech sector and we already know that in the next we're in a we're in a a if you want to say robotic if you want to say the technology age however you want to categorize that the US feels that they cannot allow China to surpass them right so if China surpasses then some of the things that we as american citizens look to as a given are are not going to be a given anymore because there's going to be new rules to the game because another country is going to be looking to take over. And we have the instance in which uh, a couple of years ago, uh, I believe um, the U S not the U S but China and may have been Russia, I believe were in talks of creating the petrol yuan, which meant that they were no longer going to price um, oil in U S dollars they were going to use their currency to back it and they were going to allow for um, countries to pay for goods within their with their currency which is going to strengthen their currency and the and take down the power of the dollar right so those are one of the particular different things so um and each country is is essentially, you know, they're 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 ramping up, you know, from a military standpoint because it may or may not come to blows. But on this particular front, this particular war may not cause any bloodshed. Not one bullet may be fired, but it's going to have it's going to be a winner because one of the things that 
I see that the article is trying to push forward. And when I say push forward, I'm not speaking in terms of being a deterrent. But one of the things that they're trying to push forward is that the U.S. and China should be able to look at the strengths of each other and come to a compromise. Right. Should be able to come to a compromise. So um, another article, which is the third article, um, it's from um, Brookings. EDU is called avoiding the new Cold War between the U.S. and China. And so basically it says what the U.S. has to do how so we don't get to a Cold War, which I feel like is inevitable. It asks the question, is the is the U.S. willing to accept a peer competitor, particularly one with a different political system and ideology? So, again, like I said, China is communist. America's capitalist. So they, they're not operating on the same wave pattern. It goes on to say, in principle, the answer should be yes. So essentially, the U.S. should accept this, right? But, going back to the article, but there is an action slash reaction mechanism in U.S. politics. An administration that fully accepts China as a peer inevitably, inevitably will have to endure and beat back harsh attacks from a nationalistic opposition right so it will require long-term steadiness not a one-off decision the united states can sustain such a view if china accommodates to the traditional stabilizing role of the united states in each asia rather than seeking to undermine it right so when we look at that um the question becomes like obviously the u.s is looking to uh move into east asia and looking to have influence in that particular region. And, you know, obviously one of the things that we have to look at is that all these other countries have looked at America ascension. They've they've essentially, the blueprint is out. Like, hey, this is what you do. This is what you need to do. And you can get to the top. So obviously if you look at it and if you go back to uh, the Grand Chessboard, which I've referenced this particular book before by Zbigniew Zabrinsky. Um, it basically talks about how the U.S. cannot afford, cannot allow for China or any other country to surpass it. Right. So that's that's the that's the whole purpose of that book. It's what I believe, maybe 270 some odd pages. But it was put forth with a mindset that, hey, America has to remain as the dominant power. And by it remaining the dominant power, it continues to have a hedge money on everything. It continues to have the largest amount of influence in global um, disputes, right? So, Moving forward, the article uh, asks the question of China. Can it comfortably integrate and assimilate into a rules-based international order created in historically, now that's the key word in this, historically dominated by the United States? Now, let's pause that for a second. That kind of goes back to what I just said. Um, America has been on an ascension. It has been a tear. It has the largest uh, economy. It has the um, most innovation of any country. It um, 
the just the where America is located. It it has the Atlantic Ocean as well as Pacific Ocean um, bordering it, right? So it essentially, you know, it's in the middle, essentially, of the country. And most people talked about how that essentially um, makes it vulnerable to an extent, but it also makes it a good location at the same token, which again um, was highlighted in the grand chessboard again by Zbigniew Zabrinsky. So moving on, um, historically dominated by the United States and characterized by certain norms such as on trade, protection of intellectual property rights, privacy, digital freedoms, rule of law, due process, transparency, law of the sea, and human rights. Right. So obviously that's interesting when we talk about human rights, especially in this particular climate. But again, I've I've delved on that enough in previous podcasts. I'm not going to delve back into that again. But what we have here, intellectual property, privacy, digital freedoms, rules of law. So um, this article talked about how. Um, you know. We understand the restrictions on China, right? Um, I was reading an interesting article about China because the question came up when most people say, well, Chinese kids are smarter than American kids. And obviously, you know, they, they, I, I like to get to the bottom of things. And what I learned is that um, in most acts and most instances, they go to school more than, than American children do. And obviously, again, not being in a country in which everything is so wide open, the options are, are, are seemingly limited into what it is that they could do. So it's almost like it's, it's, a, it's a statement that doesn't have any, any, any um, merit behind it. It has some, but the way that, that most people try to put it out there is it's out it's disingenuous because you're 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 not comparing apples to apples you're comparing an apple to a pineapple right so they're not they're really not the same so um it's it's interesting um it's interesting what's actually going on because obviously our hands need to be on deck trying to um curve the 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 virus but we necessarily can't due to the fact that an ongoing cold war is on the brink and you know i don't know what may happen right i don't know what may happen i'm sure some economists and um foreign policy individuals on both sides i'm sure that they pretty much know where it's going but obviously um we have to really think, right? Um, a Cold War, again, going back to the original from 1945 to the 1990s. And when, again, when someone now, you have to think about the dissension that Russia took after, um, after it lost. We have to, we have to think about the dissension. And the, again, the, um, the only thing that we notice or talk about in reference to Russia is just um, Vladimir Putin and and how Russians are not to be trusted and things of that particular nature. So again, that was one of the things that 
um, happened is, and that was one of the things that was uh, very transparent and going on with the original Cold War was propaganda, right? And that propaganda is still going on today. And we see the propaganda going on now, again, with Trump labeling um, the coronavirus as the Kung Fu virus or the, the China virus or whatever the situation is. So that's, you know, that's again, that's that type of um, propaganda. So um, that's what, um, you know, end up happening. And obviously Russia, uh, well, the USSR, let me stop referring to it as Russia because it, 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 it controlled a larger uh, percentage. Well, not owned, but it had influence over a larger um, stake, essentially, than it does now. And so <clears throat> once um, that um, occurred, which was brought forth by, you know, a weakening e economy, because essentially Russia spent a lot of money and, and things of that particular nature trying to, you know, essentially outbid the U.S. So you have to think about it from that particular standpoint. There's tremendous ramifications for both sides in the event this, that this actually breaks out and it becomes a full-blown Cold War. There's some individuals that feel that China has the technology, the tech advantage over the U.S. right now, right? So... You could look at it from a standpoint and say, okay, well, yeah, we have to do away with TikTok. We have to do away with particular things like that. WeChat, we have to do away with particular things like that because now you're gaining data and now you can utilize that data in a way that it benefits you and does harm, right? So, you know, that may come off maybe as conspiracy theory-like, but essentially that's, that's, that's the way that the thought process is going now. So again, like I said, I don't I don't know what um is gonna happen. I don't know what the end goal is. Well I do know the end goal is. The end goal is for um one of these two countries to be the the leader. You know, um one of the things that we, you know, we as regular citizens uh we don't necessarily think about again is like I say is some of the access and things that, that we have because you know, we are within the country that is deemed the greatest country um, in the world. And I've heard a, a <laughs> uh, one of the individuals that I listened to, John Hope Bryan, he said that America um, doesn't have the best system. It's just better than the other systems that are around. Right. So that means that there could be a better system. And that's not necessarily to say that that system is going to be any better. And going back to, you know, I study um, uh, Amos Wilson, got all of his books. And one of the things I heard him say in a speech, and again, um, this is what he said. Um, I haven't done the type of digging and research that he's done, but paraphrasing it, he basically stated that if we feel that um, white supremacy is um this bad then we can multiply what asian 
supremacy would be. So, you know, <laughs> we can just take it, you know, uh, whatever the situation, you know, we can take it. And he made these particular remarks back in the, the mid to early 90s. And that's um, one of the things that I really, really admired about him was that a lot of the things that he, as well as others who are still around from that particular area, a lot of the things that they predicted um, because of the amount of studying that they put in and understanding um, the type of policies that were being enacted, they're coming to fruition, right? So, but um, that's the end of the podcast, right? Um, so, as you know, like I say, you know, tell a friend to tell a friend and, you know, like it, uh, leave a review. Oh, man. Back to you again next week. Peace.